I hope that you're enjoying a wonderful lunch. I would just like to gather everybody's attention as we go into the question and answer phase of today's presentation. Before we get started, I just wanted to, uh, to thank the kitchen staff for a lovely meal. And of course, thank you to all of the wonderful volunteers that helped with service today. Uh, as I said, make sure you tip your server. Uh, so next week uh, is a special week for SACPA because we have two sessions taking place. Of course, the regular Thursday afternoon session will be taking place here starting at 12 noon, featuring speaker Dr. Sean McMahon on the topic of Middle East societies in crises. Uh, also next week on Thursday, we have a special presentation featuring uh, the Nature Conservancy of Canada, uh, Nature Talks, and Why Grasslands Matter. And this is a presentation taking place at the Helen Schuler Nature Centre. You are asked to pre-register for this event. So if you do plan to attend the evening session of SACPA next week, please RSVP. Uh, we've got information on the website, uh, or you can come grab me and I'll get that information directly to you. Uh, that talk is going to be a fantastic look at some of the iconic species of our grasslands and the important role of conservation uh, in their continued survival. All right, so uh, switching gears back into today's presentation, we had a, a wonderful talk from Lita Pesderek with the Nature Conservancy of Canada on the role of the Nature Conservancy and in protecting our grasslands. So I would like to introduce Lita back up and hopefully we have some great questions uh, to get started uh, with our conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Curtis. Gentle questions, right? <laughs> Um, my name is Mike McCaig, and uh, one, two. Yeah. yeah, my name is Mike McCaig. Uh, apparently, I have a reputation for asking questions, so my table sent me up here. <laughs> so this is not my question. Um, could you please cover uh, a bit about how you handle the mineral rights situation when? You have property oh. you're trying to protect, and knew you were gonna ask mineral <laughs> rights underneath it. Thank you. Well, I will, I'll answer it to the best of my ability. It's very complicated, but um, a good example of it, and I, the details will be a little fuzzy, but uh, I don't know if you folks have heard of the whaleback in Alberta, uh, Bob's Creek Wildland. Back in the day, there was, um, I think, I don't know which oil and gas company had right, subsurface rights to, to that area. And the landowners in the area were having, uh, they were up in arms over it. And it was, and the company soon realized that there wasn't much uh, oil and, and minerals in, left there anyway. So I think what happened was NCC purchased the mineral rights from the company. And then we went to the provincial government and said, we will transfer these rights over to you if you agree to put uh, protective notations and turn it into a park. And so that's how we disposed of those uh, mineral rights and, and they, there will be no more drilling ever in, in that area. That's a really... Yeah, no, so that's, that's one example. I'm sure I left out some details, but uh, I hope that answers it the best of my ability. For more information, you can always call me or I can direct you to someone who can really answer it. Hi, Lita. Hi. <coughs> Lita. My name is Henning Mundell. And uh, you showed us right 
quite near the beginning, what you said was one of your favorite slides of the uh, of the gentleman horsebacking yes, Milk River Roger, Ridge and then yeah. taking out uh, the uh, spraying the houndstown. And then later you talked about volunteers pulling weeds. Have you heard about the research at the research station on biocontrol you on Houndstown? Yes, yeah, I'm so glad you, you brought with, that up. Are you in touch? Yeah, so please, if you can. Yes, we thank. do. We love biocontrol. Um, for those of you that don't understand what that is, it's where we use a natural agent to, to control an invasive species. So uh, in the form of weeds, we, we find the natural, say, insect or bug that would feed on that species over in its homeland. And we bring it over and lot, there's like many years of testing at the research station in Lethbridge uh, to make sure that it's not gonna invade other native species and do harm. And uh, we will release those on our invasive species in and across Alberta. And so some of the pictures here, I don't know, I'll get to it, but there's a Dalmatian toad flax on the Milk River Ridge. We have weevils. I had a group of little volunteer, you know, the kids, they went and picked all the weevils off of a, off of a patch that we had a really established biocontrol agent uh, community working away. And then we relocated those weevils and released them at another uh, spot on the ranch. And we do that for leafy spurge. We've also got um, goats. We we're working with goats to control our, our weeds on properties and sheep. So there's lots of neat alternatives. But I, I think the, the important thing to know, I know people hear herbicide and they go, ah, because it's, it's harmful, right? It's not the greatest. But we have to recognize that invasive species are probably our biggest threat to our natural ecosystems. And so if we don't attack them, with some real force, where it's a losing battle. We try to do a multi-approach for all of our properties. We work with a weed specialist, and he comes up with a property, a weed management plan, and we do several different forms of um, management, whether it's pulling weeds, mowing them, getting biocontrol out there, you name it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Good question, yeah. Uh, my name's Dave Shepard. Um, I want to ask about, you mentioned weeds, I want to ask about invasive grasses though. Yes. And uh, they're a really big problem in the coolies. You bet. In the city here and in the parks. Uh, they've displaced a whole lot of the native grassland that was there. And uh, is this a problem on the, uh, on your areas yeah. and generally and what can be done about it? Right, no, that's an excellent question. and. Uh, grasses pose a whole nother level of, of threat in that they're far more dif difficult to control. So when we apply a herbicide, it's effective on the, the forb or the broadleaf plant that's out there that we're targeting, uh, but it won't affect the grass around it. So that's why we, if I'm spraying leafy spurge, the, the grass then, the, the plant dies, but the grass around it still can thrive. Uh, when we're talking about an invasive grass, such as downy brome or Japanese brome, for example, that's been brought in. I think they used to use it, um, I don't know, in ship ballast. It came across, and for, I think for weight, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I'm making that up. But uh, it, it came over here somehow, and it's invaded a lot, a lot of our prairies. And the problem with it is, is that it comes out really early in the spring, before the other species have arrived and it sets seed and, and I mean thousands of seeds and then 
it's already established and it's really hard, I can't spray it. Hand pulling it is effective, but you need an army and we have tried. We get, we get people, volunteers coming out pulling downy brome all the time. Uh, and so there is a herbicide in the United States that is approved and I believe we're doing test plots in Canada to, to bring it up um, and to be able to use it here. And what it does is it actually, you, if you spray it, it just affects the root system like this far. And the neat thing about downy brome is that the root system is very shallow. It doesn't extend uh, very far into the soil. And unlike our native grasses where the root system could be several feet. So if, it just, if we spray it and it just soaks in that far, it's just gonna hit the downy brome is, the, is what it's doing in the States. So. No, it's, um, I don't know the name of it, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we do use Tordon. Tordon's approved in Canada, yeah. We use a, uh, typically Milestone because it's the, it has the least negative effects, I guess, on our aquatic ecosystems and that. Um, is that just for Donnie Brome because the main species in the coolies here, in my observation, are uh, crested wheatgrass and smooth brome? Right, yeah. No. Yeah, it's crested wheatgrass, smooth brome, those are very problematic as well. And we, what we try to do with patches of, of that is we'll work with our land, our leaseholders, and we'll try to get them to graze that, the non-native tame species early on in the spring, and then knock it back, and then that gives a chance for the native species to, to establish and, and get ahead. So it's, it's, a, it's a problem <laughs> that, yeah, it's a big headache. Thank you, though. Good question. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for your uh, speech today. Uh, my name is Vernon West, Dr. West. I'm a retired veterinarian, rancher. Uh, my grandfather homesteaded in the Mountain View area in 1893. Wow. And we still have uh, a good part of that uh, land in, in uh, my family's uh, care. Now, I ranched myself for 35 years, mm -hmm. and I like to think that at the end of those years that my property and my grass, etc., was as stable and good as it was when I started. Yeah. We did a certain amount of cultivation in order to, to uh, produce more forage for winter feeding, yeah. but uh, we did leave uh, a fair amount of, uh, of uh, nature, of a natural grassland available. Uh, it seems to me that I have neighbors that have had uh, worked with you in the conservation area. Um, as soon as you put your restrictions on, on, on my land, I'm not able to produce as much product as I did before, and, and it becomes uneconomical to maintain it. Right, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, no, Whatever happens. And I, I think that's, um, oftentimes people ask me, why, why would a landowner do that? Why would he put restrictions on his own property? And we have found that each conservation agreement that we enter into is very personal. It might not work for you, but it might work for this fella. And the agreements can be tailored to, we, it's voluntary, right? We both come to the table and we have to agree to make it work for you. And we can have exceptions in the agreement. So if, I mean, 
it's fantastic, it's phenomenal that you have like over a hundred year old ranch and you want to keep it that way and, and pass it on to your future generations, right? Without that risk of it being broken up over time through, because who knows what the future might bring, right? And so we can offer uh, landowners an opportunity to, to make sure that that the agreement accommodates their future, um, like their children. So if we say no, no more development on the ranch, except for this quarter section here, perhaps this quarter section here, depending on how large the property is, we can say you could build a homestead here and you can have a homestead here, but no more. So it accommodates your, fam your growing family, if that's right for you. And I, I make it very, very serious when I meet with landowners who are thinking about doing this to think long and hard because it is for life. It is, you're making decisions for the future. And um, in some cases, through sustainable grazing and, and working with our range specialists and our managers, uh, we can actually increase the pr production of your forage on the native grasslands. We don't say, like, if, if, it's, if you've got a cultivated field that you use for winter feed, that's okay. You can keep that and you can still produce as long as it functions for your ranch, but it's just talking about in the future, we'd say no more. So if you're, or we would leave it out of the agreement. So it's like, oh, I got a quarter section over here that I use for, um, you know, haying or winter feed. We wouldn't include that in the, in the easement. Does that make sense? Thank you. Okay. Well, one more short question. What influence do you have with local governments, uh, such as MDs and counties? I've had experience with uh, the local areas where, where I've come from, and sometimes they ignore their own legislation. Mm -hmm. When somebody comes with influence or money and wants to yeah. develop or, yeah. or something like that. And, and, but I find, find that in my instance, my local organization will ignore their own bylaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we, we do try to work with our municipal governments uh, and I wish I had more influence than I do on some of their decision making. Our, our goal, we try to meet with them and present, do presentations like this with them to just to help educate uh, why there should be limits on development and and just to have that back and forth uh, conversations. We, we also know that municipal governments have the ability to put easements on their own properties or, or and so they have a lot of influence, you're right, and uh, make big management decisions. So it's a, it's a really good point. I think um, there may be some room to, <laughs> to go um, in regards to working with our municipalities for sure. Thank you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good presentation, Lita. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> I'm, I'm Lauren Fitch, and I, I wonder, Lita, if you could comment. You talked about the role of the Nature Conservancy in grassland conservation with things like uh, purchasing land and conservation easements. I wonder if you could also talk about the role of publicly owned rangelands <laughs> for grassland conservation and how the Nature Conservancy works in that context of a mosaic of public and private land. Right. And, and if you feel so inclined, <laughs> maybe speak to what the implications of the UCP campaign mm -hmm. province promise might be to sell public land. 
great. Ooh, that's a hot. <laughs> so yeah, you bring up a really good point, Lauren. Um, in the one, I think in the one map there that showed the northern Great Plains and how it extends over our prairie provinces, um, much of that grassland that remains is held in crown land, so it's our public lands. And I think like we, we should have comfort in knowing that our government holds a lot of our grasslands, but unfortunately, governments change and they can make decisions on how that, that land is used. Um, going back to the municipality question, NCC has been trying to work with our local governments and our provincial governments to put protective notations on Crown land. And even if it's just placing a cap. So we have to say, we recognize that uh, this landscape, we're feeding, we have to feed our families. I mean, I like my Cheerios in the morning too. But um, when is enough enough? And when do we have to step in as a government and say, we cannot convert anymore because there is not enough to sustain what life is left there. And so NCC is working very, very hard on building those relationships with the government. They had a phenomenal relationship with the NDP. And uh, Larry Simpson is a pretty well-known name for the Nature Conservancy. He's been with us for over 27 years, I believe, and he's been kind of the leader in some of those big projects like the Waldron. And we are hoping, um, he's always got something going on in the background. Uh, grasslands is our next project that, I mean, I keep saying, hey, what about the grasslands? But there's not enough money, and, and that's the problem with, with protecting our grasslands. So I know there's rumblings. I'm probably not allowed to get into too, de too much detail about the work we're trying to do with uh, placing a little bit more protection over our grasslands. Whether or not we can um, influence the new government, I don't know. I know we're trying, and uh, it, it terrifies me as well to, to just hear their, their ideas and their plans to sell our crown land, because um, it's our land, you know, and it's, it's my baby's land. And if, if they're, you know, somebody in power for a few years is going to make a decision that's going to last a lifetime, we should be concerned about that, for sure. Hi, Lita. Hi. Uh, my name is Graham Greenlee. Well, if, if UCP wants to sell some crown land or public land, there's a golden opportunity for the Nature Conservancy to buy some more land, right? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> anyway, my question is, um, I was talking to a rancher in southwestern Alberta one time, and he said he doesn't like the Nature Conservancy because when they come in and buy land from ranchers, they pay top dollar. Mm -hmm. And so that jacks up land prices, makes it really hard for, for young uh, potential ranchers to, to buy land and get started ranching. So what would your comments be mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, no, that's a, very, that's a very typical comment we get. And it's frustrating, oh! Because the thing is, is that we are held to, when we are interested in a property, or even when we're held to, or interested in putting a conservation easement on a property, we have to get a third-party appraisal done on the land. And so we, get a, we, have, we cannot go over fair market value. So whatever that appraisal comes in at, 
we can't go over that dollar amount. Therefore, we can't raise the price of land. It, it's just we are paying, and oftentimes we have to turn down projects because they're asking too much. Like I had a property out in near Foremost come in, and the guy was asking, you know, several million dollars for this, and it was way over uh, priced because it had gravel. You know, there was the potential for it to be a gravel pit. It had irrigation rights. It hadn't been converted yet, but the potential was there, and the value he was pricing it at the value of opportunity, and so. You have, we have to turn those down. And it's, it's too bad that we have that um, reputation because in, in actuality, I think we're, we're protecting the way of a, the ranching culture in that when we place an easement on a property, like I talked about before, the value decreases because we've removed the right to develop, we've removed the right to cultivate, but what we've done is we've, we've placed it, it, it's going to continue to be a working ranch. And so the next generation, that young rancher can come in, and he's not going to pay the price that it was to when it had all those rights to develop on it. He's going to pay the price of the property as a working ranch. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but um, we're, we're protecting that ranching community and, and those intact large tracts of habitat for wildlife movement and for good ranch movement, right? We want to be able to rotate the livestock around, around the ranch and really balance out its grazing. Yes? Good? Maybe? It's a little confusing, conservation easements, yeah. Hi, my name is Terry Shellington. Thank you for your presentation. Uh, I want to ask about a um, a word that slid by the, in the slides without comment, I think. Okay. But in the beginning, as you were describing the features of the NCC, I thought I saw the term non-advocacy. Right. Um, does that mean that regardless of what kind of debate is going on in, in Alberta, that uh, you have a commitment to silence and to not comment on the implications of some of the decisions we're making, whether it be selling private land or all kinds right. of other watershed protection issues. Non-advocacy seems a commitment to silence. Right, yeah, and I mean it is in a, in a way. We, I think how we, take, we look at it is when, when we have been, you know, some people come to us for comment and we base our responses on fact. So if a landowner in the area is really worried about a new development going up and they want NCC to advocate for, you know, stopping the development. We're not allowed to go in and say, ah, you can't do that. But what we, we do is we present the facts. So we say this area is ecologically significant. It has species at risk, such as grizzly bears that require a large range for migration or for roaming, right? And, and so we, we present all the facts about the area, and then we present why that would have a negative impact if you were to do any of that development that they were proposing. Um, so it's a, it's a fine line. We, I think we, we follow what our, our mission and our vision is, and we try not, we can't go out and lobby and, and run the picket lines. Well, not on NCC time. I'm there chained to the trees, but no, on my own time, no. 
just going to interject here. We're uh, rounding into the last five minutes, uh, so if, if there are any final questions, uh, we'll try to cre keep it brief. Hi, Lita. Uh, Leona Jacobs is my name. Um, miss you on the science tours with the Old Man Watershed yeah, Council. Miss you too. <laughs> <laughs> Those were great. Um, so two questions. One is riffing off of Lauren's question, and it has to do with what Brad Wall did in Saskatchewan with the community pastures and, and selling off those, and how, what, how did the Nature Conservancy um, interact with that decision? Mm -hmm. And the second thing has to do with Peter and Sharon Butala's um, giving, giving their land over, I don't know if they gave it or sold it or whatever, but what happened with that land subsequent to uh, Nature Conservancy taking it over? It was in southern, uh, southwestern Saskatchewan. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super familiar with Saskatchewan's uh, what's going on in Saskatchewan, but uh, I can I can speak to the the PFRA pastures. You know that is something. That's why I think Lauren brings up the fact that it is um, it's a real it's a real threat to our our grasslands, and that you can see how quickly a government can come in and make a decision and and essentially end a 100-year-old program that's been so vital to farmers and grasslands over the years. Um, I think that's why NCC is working, always constantly working with, the, with our government uh, to try and make sure that they are aware of this. It's an ongoing battle. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, I can't really speak to the specifics in Saskatchewan. But yeah, thank you. Dave Major, thanks for your talk. Um, the climate is changing here, and uh -oh. uh, the average from we're we're probably as low as anywhere in Canada, but it's still close to two degrees per hundred years. And I'm wondering if you you may not have been around long enough, but are you seeing any changes in the mix of species uh, hmm. on the grasslands? Mm -hmm. Well. I mean, yeah, climate change is, is a thing, but as far as changes on the landscape and species, I mean, talked about how grasslands is home to over 75% of our species at risk. The biggest change I'm seeing is we're losing species. We're just not seeing them anymore. And so I know I love your comment about being too young to, to notice, but uh, when I was growing up, just the neighbors down the road from us, I grew up out by Claire's home, and they had burrowing owls. And Dad took us out to the neighbors, and we went and we looked at the pasture, and we had Colin Weir come out, and it was, a, it was still a big deal, because I think they were still um, a pretty special bird. But you can't go hardly anywhere and see them anymore. So that's alarming in my short time here to see a species really disappear uh, sage grouse, that's another one of them. You won't see them. And I mean, you, you listen to, I listen to my dad who grew up in Foremost area uh, talk about seeing, you know, hundreds if not thousands of pronghorn migrate across the prairies. You don't see that anymore. And so it, I, I don't know if it's climate change or what it is, but I know it's human, um, human, influence on our landscape and I don't want to blame humans because <laughs> we're I am one and we all live here it's and and back in the day I mean you were encouraged you had to break a chunk of land in order to have your acreage and have and own that land and so 
I think the biggest thing is, is that we just have to learn from the past and, and recognize what's happening now and try to have that balance and make, make good decisions going forward. And I think the biggest thing is we need to depend on our government to, to help make those decisions uh, actually stay and, and stay in place. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it, it can be a little bit of a Debbie Downer when you really start thinking about it, but I always think there's hope for the future, so. All right, uh, this will be the last question of the session. Thanks, Leda. Ian Hurdle. Um, move you out of your comfort zone. No, please. Um, what are the size of tracts of easement and forested areas? You know, what, what size are you looking for? One acre, 300 oh, acres? And for, what for are the easement. developments as far as the forested areas a little more to the west? Right, right. Uh, typically, when we place an easement on a property, we want to uh, do it. We don't typically do less than a quarter section in land, so 160 acres. The larger, almost the better, because you're maintaining that large, intact habitat. Uh, if you're looking at, I mean, easements are pretty typical. There is the set of restrictions that come. So if you're in a forested area, we would likely set limits on the timber harvest of that area or maybe um, limit it to non-native, like no clearing of native, native trees. Um, except, for example, aspen, a trembling aspen is known as an encroacher into our grasslands. And so if it's encroaching on the landscape, then it's, it's taking up grassland. And so we, we try to uh, exclude that from our restrictions. So you could clear aspen. If you wanted to do some prescribed burning, you could do that. Um, our easements are pretty flexible with, with your ranching operation. Um, I don't know if, if that answered your question, but if you donate an easement fully, then we can we have a little bit more wiggle room with um, the size. And, and if it's connected to other conservation lands, so if your neighbor had a conservation easement and say you had uh, half a section or half a quarter section, but we're seeing the bigger picture, we're trying to build on that protected area, then we would also consider um, a smaller size. So we just really want to put those protected buffers around um, important areas. So you'll notice like Waterton Park front, uh, is is almost completely protected with conservation easements or we own the land there. And that's just adding that extra layer of protection from the park. And same with Cypress Hills Provincial Park. We have a lot of conservation lands around the north side of the park. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lita, for coming in today, sharing some of your wonderful photos and uh, talking a little bit more about the Nature Conservancy. I think I speak on behalf of everybody when I say thank you for the work that you mm -hmm. do in protecting natural spaces throughout Alberta and throughout Canada, for that matter. Thank you.